Welcome to Locally Sourced Joey, the Sweet 16 edition. Joined once again by our resident bracketologist, college basketball guru, savant, Chris Hayes. Chris, thanks for coming back onto the podcast. I'm excited to be here. One side of my bracket is looking great in the Sweet 16. It's actually perfect with all the eight teams on that half. The other side, not so much. So glad to still be the resident in-house expert here. Yes, you're, I think you're still better than I am. How many Sweet 16 teams do you have, 10 or 11? Uh, eight, and then I think 10. I have 10. Okay, so we both have 10, so we're both yeah. equally... Which, I think it's actually a pretty good year for me overall. Considering everything else that happened in it, like the fact that I have 10 Sweet 16 teams usually does not happen that way. That is true, and my my old rule of thumb, even though, again, it never happens, is to have all your Sweet 16 teams, I'm sorry, all your Elite 8 teams after the first day, and have all of your Final Four teams intact after the Sweet 16. You're usually in pretty good shape. Of course, uh, neither of those have happened, because, I mean, Michigan State is definitely the most disappointing. Not so much, I mean, obviously, yes, because they're a senior-laden team that lost in a game that they never led at all, but also because Syracuse then cakewalks into the Sweet 16. And I know a couple people before Syracuse played Middle Tennessee State were like, watch, Middle Tennessee State's going to win. And I'm like, no, they're not. They played the game of their lives against Michigan State. Like four of their players had career highs in that game. Syracuse was going to win easily, and they did. And so a team that didn't even really deserve to make the field is in the Sweet 16, which always happens. And now they're playing Gonzaga, so my stupid thing of picking a team sixth or lower to make the Elite Eight still going to happen. I just picked the wrong one, naturally. Yeah, the Syracuse thing's crazy. I mean, I think any fan that watched the difference between or watched Michigan State and Middle Tennessee game, and then the West Virginia uh, Stephen F. Austin game, I mean, I, you could tell just the difference that Middle Tennessee State just had one of those games that you knew that was it. You know, that was all they were going to do. Where Stephen at Austin, you watch the team like, man, that team's actually very good and is probably underseeded. And it's one of those, like, if they had made the Sweet 16 this year and would have played Wisconsin and probably made the Elite Eight, and from then on out, forever, it's like a UNI, where now you're not, like, really a Cinderella anymore. And, you always know, get the higher seed and the benefit of the doubt, whereas now, you know, they'll still hover around that 14 seed you know, 13, 14, 15 seed all the time and then continue to just kind of upset people. But their coach just left for Oklahoma State, so that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if Oklahoma State can finally turn it around. They've had some some miserable basketball seasons. Uh, even with Marcus Smart there, you know, they seem to be perennial underachievers. So, Brad Underwood, we wish you well. But, yeah, yep. Stephen F. Austin, horribly underseeded. They haven't lost... I mean, they lost to Notre Dame, so that was their first loss in 2016. I mean... Yeah, they shouldn't have lost that game. And it's too bad. I mean, they, they should have. They had their opportunity late in that game. There were a couple times they should have just finished that game off, um, but they didn't. And, you know, the problem is in those situations is you leave a team like Notre Dame that just, you know, over the last couple of years has shown they're, you know, not to sound very cliche, but they are gritty. They find kind of ways to win in weird ways. And that's what happened in this game. They found a way. It's all of a sudden like, oh, my gosh, they won. They, they shouldn't have won, you know? Yeah, it's always... There's always those teams like that that just... 
you know, find the ways to win. And, and Notre Dame certainly did that. They played a Michigan team that forgot there's a second half of basketball. And they played a Stephen F. Austin team that, again, had the opportunities to finish, and they didn't. And, and teams like Notre Dame can take advantage of that, and they did. And now they have a very favorable matchup against Wisconsin, who I picked correctly, I would like to point out. That's my one nice little uh, Sweet 16 pick. Otherwise, it's pretty much chalk across the board. But um, uh, I, I picked uh, Pitt to do what Wisconsin did, and obviously didn't happen. Also, I didn't watch any of the Wisconsin Pitt game, and I actually haven't seen the final score of that game until right now. I had no idea it was 47 to 43 final. Oh, it was, I, I had no clue. It was no abysmal. Clue. Wisconsin had 16 points at halftime. And we were watching, I forget what the other game, uh, maybe it was like, uh, maybe Texas A&M had just started the Texas A&M Green Bay game. And they had outscored both teams in the first half, but, you know, within like 10 minutes of the game starting. And it was, it was, yeah, it was real bad to watch. I'd say Wisconsin just kind of made fewer dumb plays down the stretch and were able to sneak out with a win, but... Yeah, both of those were, that was just a terrible game. And now Jamie Dixon has left Pitt to go to TCU. So everyone fleeing the East region to go to the Big 12. Yeah, kind of crazy. It's a little nuts, yeah. So, I mean, what would you say the biggest surprise from the, the first two rounds were? I think it's it's got to be Michigan State. Uh, West Virginia, as much as it's sad in me that they made the Final Four, it's not a huge surprise because... A lot of people were picking Stephen F. Austin as an upset pick. I should have listened to them because I have believed in Stephen F. Austin in the past, and they usually don't steer me wrong. But this year, I thought, hey, it's you know they got blown out against the the power conference teams that they played, and they're playing a team that is the same as them, just with taller players. So I thought West Virginia could have pulled it out. They didn't. So, I uh, but yeah, Michigan State just not even leading at all has to be a big surprise. For me. Yeah, and I, I think that's the biggest surprise. What I think would also be the second surprise, if, you know, Michigan State's the sexy one to pick and the easy one to pick, is probably how dominant Gonzaga has been uh, in their two games that they've played. You know, for a team that, you know, would pretty much win or go home uh, in their conference tournament, and many said was probably been one of the least strongest teams they've had in Gonzaga in a long time. So all of a sudden, you know, not only yet did they kind of probably – Ran into a seat hall team that thought they were going to win. Yes, is Utah probably overranked? Yes, but at the same time, the fact that they didn't need a buzzer beater or what didn't come around really down to any, you know, getting through free throws and things like that. They controlled the second half. Um, you know, I think they're the biggest surprise really entering this Sweet 16 um, because of how strongly they did. It's not like they kind of squeaked by. You know, like I said, it's not like you were talking about with Syracuse getting some favorable draws while all of a sudden, you know, they're in the Sweet 16. Gonzaga looking dominant. Uh, I wouldn't say dominant, but very strong in a, for a team that wasn't expected to do that at all. I agree. They, they have definitely earned their keep this year, although they were an auto bid. So, yeah. And yeah. They're, they're, uh, their WCC counterpart, St. Mary's, Playing in the NIT right now, so by the time this airs, it'll be either they'll be the NIT will be uh, in their Elite Eight, and Gonzaga will also maybe join them in the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. So, could end up being a good year for the WCC after all. 
But let's go. Let's go to the left side of the bracket since that was where we were much better at. Since we basically both had the same picks from about the Sweet Sixteen onward. My one loss is our alma mater, the Miami Hurricanes. More so in a reverse jinx. So you're welcome, Canes. And they are facing a Villanova team that has also looked pretty dominant. I know a lot of people were concerned, can Villanova make it to, you know, another Sweet 16 or, or beyond? They haven't made it beyond the, the first weekend since 2009, although two of those years are really the only time where they've been a high seed. So they've, they look dominant against UNC Asheville and then Iowa, you know, you weren't really sure what Iowa team you were going to get, the one that was contending for the number one overall ranking, uh, you know, earlier in the year or the kind of crummy one that has been playing the last 10 to 12 games. And that is more so the one they got. But Villanova looked that first half against Iowa is probably the best basketball I've seen a team play in this tournament yeah. for for a full half. I mean, what scares me about Nova, so if we were to do the Miami Homer talk, what scares me about Nova is the fact that they put it on Iowa for the entire game. Like Miami had, I would say also some of, like one of the best ten minute stretches all tournament against a you know, good Wichita State team that is experienced. Um, but how they let them back, whereas Nova did not. Now I know again, like you said, Wichita State's been in these situations, so a lot doesn't really phase them. Uh, you're looking at a very different team than Iowa. You had a team that was more on the rise recently than a team that was, you know, has been kind of spiraling and, you know, lucky they had a strong start to the season or probably wouldn't even be in the tournament. Um, but, I mean, Nova, that Nova game, I mean, as a Miami fan, scares me because if they played like they did against Iowa, you know, Miami's got to do what they did for that first 10 minutes for all 40 minutes or they're going to, you know, they're going to get rocked like that UNC game earlier this year. Um but, you know, I, I give credit to the Canes, though. When they hit 44-43 when shot State went up, I thought for sure, you know, they were done. I thought, you know, Miami, six minutes left, which off State's just going to start building up like an eight-point lead that we're never going to be able to come back from. And, that, you know, they, you know, Andrew Rodriguez with the cojones moment of the, of the entire Canes season just throws a half-court alley-oop, and that just seems to get them going. Um what I do like about Miami's favorite, or what I like about Miami going to the Nova game, is pretty much everybody's picking Nova to win this game, especially for how good they've looked. Um, and Miami, especially Angel and Sheldon, really seem to play that underdog role really well like that. Uh, they like being disrespected because they come out and really hit the other team in the mouth uh, when that happens and kind of knocks them off and people don't realize how athletic they really are. So for me, I think the Nova game... Uh, you know, while the Iowa game would almost, I mean, the Iowa game would scare me in the sense that they would kind of overlook this team and then struggle against it, whereas this Nova team, I think they're going to be really kind of prepped for and hearing a lot of the chatter that Nova's just usually going to win this game because of how well they play. So I went on, I went on one of my rants about Miami. I didn't even know if we were talking about it. I just wanted to do it. Love it. I love it. That's that's <laughs> fantastic. So are you are you taking Miami in this game? Um, I am. Uh, I, I think they pull it out. I think Villanova uh, is not going to be ready for that athleticism because one of the I think Miami does a good job of playing teams uh, that they've never played before. Like when you play in the in league, teams aren't surprised anymore uh, about the alley oop pass that 
you know, Angel Rodriguez throws from behind the three-point line. <laughs> Um, you know, that I don't understand how that keeps ha- how that you know teams don't realize that's not on film all the time. How that keeps happening, even in second games against teams in the league. You know, uh, I think they're going to be a little uh, surprised by that. And I think I think Miami takes it out. I think that's a little bit of a homer pick, uh, but I do have them losing to Kansas. I think Kansas is uh, the solidest team on this side of the bracket. Yeah, I agree. I'll take Miami as well. Although maybe I should keep going with the reverse jinx. Um, but yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think they'll get blown out by 50, and then Kansas will crush Villanova. Um, Kansas has looked very strong as well, and worthy of the number one overall seed. Uh, just very quickly hopping back over to the other side, uh, I know North Carolina has, there's a lot of chatter of, hey, North Carolina's looked great too, but I don't know, like, I've been reading a lot of things of how North Carolina has looked so dominant, and yes, they have these nice little second-half stretches, but I don't. They. I mean, they were up by one against Florida Gulf Coast at halftime, and yeah. that's not. You know, that's not indicative of a team playing well. So it's yes, North Carolina is among the best teams in the nation. But if they, you know, have one of these flat halves against even against an Indiana team, who honestly is probably the best bet at knocking them off, um, in you know before they make the Final Four, it's going to be. Very interesting to to see how they can bounce back if they're against a, a better team. And I do need to give a shout out to Chris Dunn, who should be like a top three pick in the draft because that yeah. guy can ball and it's wonderful to watch. But I hope he doesn't end up in Philadelphia because that's where dreams go to cool. die. Very sad. Be best place. Very, anyway, we can do that. The NBA sadness yeah. podcast another time. Very um, yeah, very sad podcast. Yeah. So uh, who do you have then? Uh, if we go prediction wise, or any other thoughts, I, I don't know why I'm running the podcast, but just <laughs> for it's your podcast, uh, uh, the Miami game, or anything else of Miami that you think that would be different, or you know what would give them a chance? Because I'm interested to hear your input on this team. I think if Villanova doesn't go into a zone defense, Miami seems to really not know what to do against zones, and if their shots aren't falling, it's a lot of kind of standing out around the perimeter and you maybe have one person working inside, which is what you should be doing in a zone, but it's very often not an aggressive flash to the the elbow or, you know, a cut up to the the middle to catch a pass and then quickly get the ball moving. Cause the way you beat a zone is with quick passes and, you know, you get them out of sorts and then you end up with an open shot or an open drive to the basket. And so far when a team has thrown a zone at Miami, they haven't really responded very well. So I think if Villanova, stays in man i think miami can definitely match them uh and surpass them athletic uh, with their athleticism but if villanova's throwing a few wrinkles then it might it might hurt him a little bit mm-hmm. but yes yeah, so we both still have kansas coming out of this region and let's head down to the west which i think are probably both of our best regions uh, i know i only got two games wrong and they were both I picked Texas to be Northern Iowa, even though in my heart I thought Northern Iowa would win, but I, you know, I live just miles from the UT campus, so had to give I mean, a little bit of love to the, the hometown team. You can't, you can't beat yourself up for a half-court buzzer beating shot, you know. Yeah, which was, we're going we're gonna to talk about Northern Iowa in a minute, but uh, the, the other game I got wrong in that one was St. Joe's and Cincinnati, and that, you know, was one hundredth of a second from going to overtime and 
Cincinnati maybe pulling it out. So I'm not I'm not too upset about it. But yeah, I mean the the Yale Baylor game was terrific to watch. Baylor again just blowing a, a lead that seemed to be safe, not as nearly heartbreaking because they at least blew it earlier, and then I were playing from behind for the final like ten or twelve minutes of that game. But I do love uh, Torian Prince's post game press conference i can't stop watching that it's amazing we're gonna we're gonna put a link in in the bottom if you somehow haven't seen it but it's just great where he he goes off on a reporter and gives him the literal definition of what a rebound is uh, when he asks how yale out rebounded baylor and good for him you know i'm as a as a journalist i definitely sympathize with the media sometimes but if you're asking a question like that in a really condescending way you yeah you kind of deserve a snotty answer too so yeah it was great i and i love every part about it so i'm glad he did it um yeah i, I mean the the big thing i had the baylor i had baylor winning but i duke moving on um you know i, I it's one of those all of a sudden another playing an oregon team that didn't look that strong in st joe's and pac-12 hasn't done well well, listen, I can see Duke in the Elite Eight and getting a Texas a and and all of a sudden he's in the Final Four. But I don't think so. I think Oklahoma is the one seed, honestly, in this bracket, on this side, in this region, and I think they move on. Uh, I mean, I know against VCU they played a tough game, um, but again, in, but he showed why he's the best player, and he's the type of guy that, you know, it's not a, it's not a guy that's just having a hot streak at the right time. He's been great all season, and it's you know he's going to carry this team. Um, and I I'd be surprised if anybody's able to really match up against them. I know Texas A&M is very good defensively. Um, Texas A&M is lucky that their Northern Iowa game, you know, emotional 12 point comeback, double overtime. They actually have four days of rest uh, because if they had to do this two nights later, I think they'd be spent. Um, but again, I think they're going to still be pretty high emotionally and things like that. And I think Oklahoma comes in and beats them and ends up beating Oregon. Um, so I'm still staying with because I picked them to beat Duke. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if Duke won that and Oklahoma to play Kansas. Samesies. And just going back to that A&M Northern Iowa game, I, I cannot believe that. I, I've never seen a team just forget how to play basketball. And I know it's one of those things where it's like, you know, a couple mistakes happen and then it just keeps piling on and like everyone starts freaking out. But my goodness, the the throw it off their leg and ricochet it out of bounds. I've usually successfully pulled that off the couple times I've tried it. There has been one time where I missed the guy's leg. But in that case, like I, I never try to slam it kind of straight down. It's more kind of like at a, at a gentler angle. So it goes more off their like knee almost mm-hmm. um or like upper shin they seem like they're kind of going like right for the feet um but it the, the one time i failed it just the guy just moved out of the way and it rolled like all the way behind half court so it definitely was less uh drastic than what happened to northern iowa who would essentially just give it to texas a&m um possession after possession and i don't understand why they didn't send someone long more times because it worked the one time they did it. I don't understand why Wes Washburn didn't dribble when he caught it in the corner because he still had his dribble. I don't understand why they only have one player that can competently get the ball in bounds and the announcers kept talking about this and I'm like, this has to be a joke that 
they only have one guy that's practiced inbounding the ball, but it all came together. It all fell apart. And, you know, when Paul Jesperson shot his shot at the end of overtime to make a half court shot, I think he was, uh, he was thinking the magic was, was going to come back and it, that was yeah. the beginning of the end for them. But that was still amazing that he had enough to, like, he shot that with like five seconds left. Why don't you dribble yeah. and get a coherent shot? But he shot it and there was enough time to shoot, miss, A&M gets the rebound and can hoist up a full court shot of their own. So poor clock management there. We shot fake and we did that as well. Um, they got the ball against Miami and the guy had five seconds left. Or so, I forget, maybe it was, oh, I think maybe it was Iowa. Um, because I think both teams were black and yellow, so now I'm getting confused. The <laughs> Iowa guy caught it and then shot it with, you know, five seconds left. It bounced off the rim, and the Villanova guy got it with like, 1.5 seconds left, and then he got a half quarter. What's going on here? But anyway, I digress. So, it, that was, it was strange to see that happen a couple of times. Yeah, look at the clock. again, I mean, the, the, the nerves of it all makes sense, but, you know, I, I just, it's weird like you were saying to me, but sometimes these guys that, you know, how, they know how to play basketball so well in these crucial moments just forget. Um, and that's, you know, that's, un, that's unbelievable to me. I mean, if I was, a, I think that's the easiest thing to look at as a scout is just to go through film and say, hey, close moments, how do these guys do? Are they going to be good in the NBA? Like that situation for, University, for Northern Iowa, I would not really look at anybody on that team because nobody knew what to do. And, and you're like, are you kidding me? You don't know how to inbound? You don't, <laughs> nobody knows how to inbound on that team? It's everybody inbounds. I, I don't know. I mean, again, like, I haven't been on a college basketball team to know that. But I feel that most people could be thrown into that that have played some type of basketball in their life and be able to handle a situation where they could inbound that at least twice. Yeah, at least. Anyway. That's my hot take on that. Yeah, just hot <laughs> takes several days later. <laughs> yeah, hot, still hot. I like we didn't it. Talk about it earlier, so now it's just finally, finally getting cooked and prepared. I like it. It's sizzling. Sizzling. So we've both got our left side intact, Kansas, Oklahoma. Let's move over to the Midwest now with this alternate bracket that we certainly did not predict. I would like no. to credit myself for the Arkansas Little Rock upset. I or who That's just good. just Little Rock now. I'm sorry, they've done a rebranding effort to just be Little Rock. And even though Yahoo is still calling them Arkansas Little Rock, I remember reading about that, that they really want to. Um, for all of that game, I thought Purdue was going to win. So I, it was a very, you know, Josh Hagens with some gutsy shots to keep Little Rock in regulation and overtime. And then eventually they win because uh, a Purdue player tried to do a nice little crossover move and ended up slipping and basically throwing the ball at the bottom of the backboard. Yeah. Yeah, there's some weird plays. A lot of also the courts, I want to address this, the new courts have been a disaster. There have been so many people slipping, and the fact that CBS or anybody hasn't brought that to attention, there were, you know, in the Duke game, there were Grayson Allen just ate it, and then was like, ah, it's the Nikes. I'm like, I don't think it's the Nikes. <laughs> then, you know, there were plays in the uh, – Buffalo Miami game and I forget who else. Oh, the Baylor game. They get at the ball. He just slipped. And these guys aren't just slipping. They're not just giving these guys a lot of grief. They're like, oh man, just didn't come up with the clutch. I'm like, no, the courts aren't prepared properly. So I I thought that 
I, I have a big issue with that, uh, with the uh, NCAA not doing anything about that, and that should have been addressed. And the media should have been on that a little bit more, I thought, because I thought it, you know, people got away with something there that shouldn't have happened. It should have been, you know, a safe environment for the kids. It's not, you know, obviously it's equal for both teams, it's slippery for both, but at the same time, it's got to be a safe playing environment. And you don't want the court deciding, you know, a game, which it seemed like it did in the Baylor game. So, anyway. No, I agree. It's yeah, it's like watching. I mean, not it's not as bad as like they're playing on ice, but there's definitely been some instances where, yeah, the the court has certainly affected at least the play, if not the outcome of a game like that. And I mean, it it helped my bracket in that case, but obviously, you, the safety of these players is the the number one priority, and it seems like that might not actually be the case, but. We'll see. Maybe maybe next year they'll have it figured out. But for yeah. now, our one... I, I think we're both going to take Virginia against Iowa State just because that's the one pick we can get right on this right side of the bracket. Agreed. Uh, although I do think Iowa State has looked very solid. I had Iona upsetting them, and it looked like they may have been on the way to, to making a comeback until Iona's star player, whose name is escaping me because I swore him off after... He did this. I uh, got a technical foul for um, cussing, I guess, at, at Iowa State's head coach, Steve Prohm, which you see on the replay, no reason for it. Like, the coach isn't saying anything to him. He's just getting his players together to, to call a play, and then the Iona guy just yells some profanity at him. The ref is... He, he had literally just been talking to the official right before it, too, so he's still right next to him. The official hears it, tees him up, and what could have been a, a comeback what ends up being multiple free throws, Iowa State's ball, and I just the game fell apart from there. Um, but then Iowa State playing a tired Little Rock team makes it to the Sweet 16. So they've looked good, but I'm, I'm curious to see how they'll do against a more elite defensive team like Virginia. Yeah, I, I, I see you, Virginia winning that one pretty big. Um, and I see then Syracuse being Gonzaga. I, I know that's crazy as what I said they look good, but I think Syracuse is just one of those teams right now that's stuck in and is all of a sudden in the Elite Eight, maybe Final Four. But I think UVA's got, I think UVA will be in that Final Four. I do as well. I'm going to take Gonzaga over Syracuse, and this might just be anger at Syracuse for even being in the tournament still, but. I do really like how Gonzaga's played, and I think their their bigs can can kind of push Syracuse around a little bit. Uh, it, honestly, Syracuse's makeup kind of reminds me of Seton Hall, and Gonzaga had a very you know very easy time dispatching them. Uh, I think Jim Beheim, obviously more coaching experience, uh, it'll be a closer game, but I like Gonzaga to to eke it out, and I think they're still a little upset from last year for making the Elite Eight and and being right there to beat Duke. And so I think they want that shot at the the final four. Not to imply Syracuse players don't, but I think yeah. I think a lot of the the same Gonzaga players are, are on that team, so they're they're hungry. We hungry. That's a, it's the best analysis. The other team's just hungry. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's like who wants it more? Exactly. <laughs> but yes, I have I have Virginia beating the winner of that game regardless. So the ACC getting well represented here in addition to our two Big 12 teams. And then we'll move up to the East, where we both had West Virginia 
that clearly will not happen now. I, I mean, I can't imagine. If North Carolina gets past Indiana. I can't imagine them not making the Final Four. Um, I'd say the winner of that game is is easily the favorite for against Notre Dame or Wisconsin, and that's not difficult analysis at all. I could I could see Indiana being North Carolina, but then I could also see then Indiana losing to Notre Dame or Wisconsin after that. Um, just because that'll probably be a very emotional game and trying to win that and getting through to the next one, you know, depending on how the Notre Dame Wisconsin game goes, uh, could just kind of have a down game because you're playing the number one seed and all of a sudden now you're the top seed in that. So I could see Indiana winning against UNC, but then losing to Notre Dame Wisconsin. But I think UNC takes this all the way to Final Four for a UNC UVA matchup, uh, which we will see then for, I think, what, the fourth time this year? Uh, so that'll be that'll be exciting. Um, and by exciting, it'll probably just be kind of a low-scoring defensive slugfest that will be that exciting. <laughs> Still sounds exciting anyway. And yeah, the, Virginia could theoretically play multiple. I mean, they could potentially play three ACC teams in a row if Miami or Duke sneaks into the, the title game. Um, and mm-hmm. then they could play Syracuse, UNC, and essentially they're just playing part of their regular ACC schedule. So I don't know yeah. if that would be uh, a good or a bad thing. Um, and North Carolina could do the same thing, actually, if they play Notre Dame first and then Virginia. And then basically the same same scenario I outlined, <laughs> just Notre Dame instead of Syracuse. Uh, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take... I don't know who I'm going to take, Notre Dame and Wisconsin. I think North Carolina beats... Indiana and beats the winner of the the bottom half. I guess I'll say Notre Dame, but it's not. I'm not even, pick, I'm it, not even picking that game. It's not a confident pick. Yeah, I, I'm not picking that game. <laughs> I don't know, but we're gonna have two teams seated six or worse make the elite eight. So yeah, the streak. That's pretty crazy. Streak lives it's on. Not, it's like the one from two years ago, we're like, oh man, it's awesome, they're 10-11, and you know, six and seven seeds, and you're looking like, but wait, they're ACC teams in Gonzaga, yeah. not you know, unknown programs, like even at Austin that you can really get behind as the Cinderella's, there's no, they're not the Cinderella's, they're just like, oh, they're number 11 and 10, Gonzaga and Syracuse, but we've seen them win, we've seen Notre Dame and Wisconsin win, you know, we're, we're good, and I don't, I can get really behind that. So. Yeah, it's more of a oh you, you're not a Cinderella. You just are having a down year from a otherwise solid program. That's oh, why yeah. you're a lower seed. So, oh well, it's so sad looking at because I'm looking at how the bracket, how my bracket has progressed thus far, and just seeing all the red. Which I mean, most of this is not new because with Michigan State and West Virginia losing, that was a lot of red very early on. So Very quickly. It's still sad to see, though. It's like a Game of Thrones episode. Ah, you beat me to the right. I know. I don't even watch it, but I know. Uh, uh, I was like, yeah, it's like a Game of Thrones. Oh, you already, you already got it. You already, you already got it. Dude, that's, that's too bad. Uh, oh, gosh. Very low-hanging so, fruit. I mean, I, with that, so I think you, you and I have UNC. UVA, and then Kansas and Oklahoma as our final four. So I, I'm going to stick with Oklahoma in the title game, and that UNC-UVA game, oh, man. 
I I think UVA does it. I think UVA finally gets over the hump there and gets into the final. Uh, and I think it'll be an ugly game, and I and I have UVA winning that. I I, I just it's going to be a defensive battle where I think they'll be the only ones to really be able to stop Buddy Yield and uh, you know at least kind of contain him because they aren't so good defensively. But it's uh, it's one where. I don't really want to see it because they're not really flashing a lot of fun, but I can see them doing it. So I'm I'm a I'm a switch my Michigan State pick to UVA. <laughs> Excellent. I'm gonna go the opposite route. I think it's Kansas and UNC. Uh, I just I just don't know if Virginia has the scoring to keep up with UNC, and I think it'll be you know a tight contest because the past games have been. So I don't see why this one would be any different, but. I think we get a Roy Williams battle of Kansas versus UNC, and I am going to take Kansas, which is a very contrarian pick, obviously. Um, but I think this, you know, they don't have any more mid-majors in their way to knock them out. So I think they're sure. all right. That's, uh, it, it'll be in, oh man. It's one where I still think Kansas and UNC was the most dominant, but at the same time, I think both of them have a very down game in them because they're known for that. So, um, but at the same time, I guess both of them in the final four, and we'll see what happens. We'll do it live. And before I we wrap things up, I wanted to do a top three of your top three games that had someone not watched a minute of this tournament and you were like, no, you have to watch these three games. What would those three games be? Uh, I'd start with Indiana-Kentucky because I thought that was a pretty good back-and-forth game where it was good teams playing each other. Um, you know, I just didn't come down to a final buzzer beat or anything, but at the same time, it just seemed like an evenly matched game throughout where like, hey, this is kind of what... You, uh, with, you know, normal college basketball is about, um, which makes it fun. Uh, I think the UNI Texas A&M games is an obvious choice. Uh, probably not for the first 39 minutes and uh, 22 seconds or 26 <laughs> seconds. Um, but or excuse me, yeah, that, whatever that exact math is. But those last, you know, 44 seconds is pretty amazing and what makes the game uh, that much fun and why you watch it at the end. And then the third game I have, I had it, and now I've lost it. Um, I would say would be, I'm looking at the wrong side, but I, I totally spaced <laughs> on who the third game was, which is terrible by me. Um, I, I would, I don't know, I, I, I'd like to pick one of the Stephen F. Austin games because I think Stephen F. Austin, while you know playing that West Virginia game, you know was exciting because they took down a good team. Uh, I thought that Notre Dame Stephen F. Austin game was great because it, it had such the highs and lows of oh my gosh this team's gonna win it all of a sudden it just seems you know kind of their their dreams. Well, I don't want to say like I'm excited to see their dreams break, but the reality of how quick this all can end, you know. And, it's never over until it hits. I know it's cliche, but never it's over until it hits zero zero zero. Uh, which you and I and uh, the you and I and Stephen Boston both learned in those games. 
so that, I guess I would go Notre Dame, Stephen F. Austin, and especially with that tip in, and you see the excitement of the Notre Dame team, uh, realizing that they fought and somehow stay in the way to get this done, uh, to just the you know, utter defeat of Stephen F. Austin, knowing that they had it late in that game. Yeah, just heartbreak city. I would also like to throw in St. Joe's Cincinnati. I thought that was a really entertaining game. And it happened uh, right around the end of that Texas-Northern Iowa game. So I think a lot of people yeah. were missing it, but I had, you know, I'd been keeping an eye on it. And I, I think it was a very entertaining game. It had a fantastic finish, a lot of great plays. It was pretty close from start to finish. You know, I never got too out of hand one way or the other. And I also, that Arkansas-Little Rock-Purdue game, I loved it. It was, <laughs> Arkansas-Little Rock was down... You know, they they were kind of hanging around for most of the game, and then it looked like Purdue would pull away. They got up by 13, and then Arkansas Little Rock made. Oh, just Little Rock, I'm sorry. Sorry, Arkansas. Um, just, uh, you know, made the comeback, and just some terrific shots from Josh Higgins yeah. again. Got to give him credit for some awesome shots. And he's probably working his way up draft boards into probably going from undrafted to the second round. I think he could be a solid rotation player like a, a taller better nate robinson yeah i mean he's not very tall though i mean he was like man he had some big shots so he he's one that's like like steph curry's around he be like oh he's like a poor man steph curry and a little and can shoot and it lights out so boom one game it all it takes the next thing you know you're about to get drafted which is crazy which makes makes it all crazy and fun it's the same thing as any coach you know the even that Boston coach, now after a big win and almost big winning against Notre Dame, is now the Oklahoma State coach. You know, and he's done a great job, but he won two tournament games, or he won one tournament game this year and, you know, had a heartbreaker of a second one, but now is the head coach of a bigger program. I mean, that's like Randy Edsall from, uh, Randy Edsall, that's the football coach. The guy that was at Florida Gulf Coast. Um, that's now at USC. Andy. Andy, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, can't think of his last name. Yeah, I, I keep I get confused with the. It's like Eckfield something yeah. Enfield Andy Enfield. Yeah, right. that's it. Yeah. And so I mean, it's like when that was when Florida Gulf Coast literally he got hired because Florida Gulf Coast won two games. You know, yeah, if they'd gotten knocked out by Georgetown in that first round, like he'd still be at Florida Gulf Coast. But instead, now he's at USC because he won those two games. So that's what makes the tournament very interesting. Uh, and you know, all you have to do is have a little luck sometimes. You know, you get a big head coaching job, or you get drafted. So, those are my, those are my parting thoughts on the, the first weekend. It's a very exciting round, actually. Yeah, it was. It was very entertaining to watch. That was another terrible ending. Was Providence USC, and by terrible, I mean just heartbreaking for USC. But yeah. uh, I think another reason too that the tournament is so exciting is because free throw shooting is very difficult for a lot of these kids. And you think, oh, this is, you know, 4.5 point lead. It's safe. No, it is not because, you know, just like that, you brick the front end of a one and one and a team can get right back in the game. And so that, you know, the NBA, like a six to eight point lead with a minute left is safe. In college, it certainly is not. No. Boom. Well, Chris, another fantastic podcast. Excited to see... Miami play excited to see the rest of the games going. It'll be terrific. And here's to a lot more 
madness. It, it's tough with that Miami game being first because, you know, you'd be excited, you watch it, and having a team in the tournament is great and a good team in the tournament, but then it's going to be one where it's so stressful during it. After if they win, you know, I'm be so happy, like, oh, I can watch more games and things like that, but they lose, they're like, I don't even want to watch Friday. Like, why, <laughs> why, why, why do we even do this? The tournament's so dumb. That's definitely going to be my reaction if they lose. Um, so it, it'll be fun. But by definitely Saturday, I'll be watching. I'll have moved on. Excellent. Only one day of grief. I but like it. Probably not even. By the next 24 hours, it'll be okay. <laughs> the later games will be tough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Chris, thank you. As always, we'll do it again next year. And hopefully have better success at it. That'll be great. Hey, 10 of 16 teams, I'll take it for now. Hopefully this next year, I actually won't have somebody knocked out my final four. My whole final four will still be intact after weekend one, or after round one. Yeah, that's usually been the case with me so far, but alas, uh, the last couple of years has not happened. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pick it up next year. Thanks Sounds for listening, good. everyone. And remember... I used to date a girl with a lazy eye, but it turns out she was seeing someone else the whole time. Get after it today, people. Amazing.